STEMI, the Stanford Emergency Medicine Innovation Podcast, where we explore the future of innovation within and around the field of emergency medicine. I'm Dr. Dan Imler, entrepreneur and faculty physician with Stanford University Department of Emergency Medicine. Each week, I sit down for a wide-ranging conversation with individuals pushing the boundaries of technology, research, education, systems, and design within emergency medicine. From the front lines of healthcare entrepreneurship to breakthroughs in the lab, we explore innovations in the science, practice, and art of creating precision emergency medicine that can transform healthcare for all. To stay current on the latest innovations and tips, please be sure to click subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please also send us your thoughts and questions to respond to in future episodes. And now, let's get started. I'm here uh, with Joseph. Uh, he is the CEO of Stardux, an entrepreneur and a software engineer in your past lives as well. Um, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for coming. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. Um, maybe we can start off. You can kind of just explain to our uh, audience a little bit what Stardex is. Yeah. So Stardex is the community for Stanford's 1600, now 1600 plus uh, professors, uh, alumni founders, um, and industry experts that are in and around innovating, starting businesses, and, and trying to turn what would otherwise be just another paper published in just another journal um, into the real world to have impact on real patients. Okay, great. And I always thought of Stardex more of an accelerator versus an incubator. What Can you explain kind of what the difference of those things are? Yeah, so there's a couple tiers on which we operate. So we have a student program that runs like an accelerator. It's for, um, you know, you could have a med school student that's got some research, maybe graduating with a PhD and, and wants to take that to real patients all the way, um, whether it's through clinical or, or into industry. Um, and we've got a scholarship accelerator there for them. And then we've also got our tracks for, you know, uh, Stanford professors that have created technologies in their labs or, uh, you know, alumni, experienced alumni entrepreneurs like uh, David Johnson, who IPO'd Natera, um, or, or Victor Pervoth um, as a role model uh, with, with Kodiak. And so uh, folks that already know how to succeed and, and start companies and want to be part of this network and ecosystem uh, to collaborate with others like them as they build their companies. Um, and a big part of what Stardex offers is a rigorous admissions process to make sure that we're vetting um, the entrepreneurs and their companies and the teams that are formed uh, for a making sure that they do have a passion and commitment to solving a real world problem right we're not in the business of um, more apps to order pizza on your phone or another social network for sharing photos of cats um, we you know first and foremost we want to make sure that we are empowering the Stanford community to go on and address important problems that are important both to the world and to them. Uh, and then also we make sure that, you know, if we are going to add a company uh, and, and give it the Stardex seal of approval, that they have the ability to execute, right? If you say um, you're building uh, a new, uh, you know, deep learning based medical device, you better have some, you know, incredible expertise in deep learning and incredible expertise or experience taking medical devices and commercializing them. Um, otherwise, it, it doesn't make sense for us. And then lastly, a big part of, at least in the startup and business world, is uh, team dynamics and, and how we judge all three of those components. So ultimately, 
Uh, StartX represents the best of the best that Stanford uh, as a community has to offer in the entrepreneurial world um, with a strong focus both in Stanford's mission to uh, you know, have purpose and impact with the, the degrees and the community that we build uh, all the way into translating that um, into the, the real world. Okay, so if someone came to be in your program, do they have to be at Stanford? Do they have to be an alumni? What, what's, the, what's the criteria to get into your program? Yeah, so if you're you know, a practicing physician here at Stanford Healthcare or uh, are a professor or a current or former student, so if you had a degree, um, maybe you, you joined McKinsey afterwards, became the head of their um, you know, digital health department and decided, hey, I, I need to solve this problem. I'm going to start a company and, and do that. Um, at least one founder has to have a Stanford affiliation, uh, and that's the primary group. There are some exceptions to that, but, but that's the primary mission that we have. Okay. And if I was, say, coming out of Stanford and was going to start a company, why would I go to StartX versus going to YC or Launch or any of the other thousand other seems to be Accelerator now? Yeah. So the way to think about StartX is if you look at any given cohort um, these days, the majority of companies we admit are founded by Stanford professors, um, Stanford alumni, serial entrepreneurs, uh, or industry experts, right? And so it's not uh, only less than a third of the companies that are supported on an annual basis are first time early stage founders, you know, getting in this for the first time. Um, and that'll, that's because of our nonprofit model and that we take 0% equity uh, from startups themselves. And, you know, our goal is to help the best of the best entrepreneurs stay connected to the Stanford ecosystem and, and continue to empower it. Um, and if we, if you were to take equity like a, an accelerator, um, or an incubator model would want, then you've got all these great accomplished Stanford folks who are saying, oh, but is 7% worth it for me? I already know how to be successful. I don't need to learn how do I incorporate or what is a pitch deck? Um, you know, but I, I do want to collaborate and coordinate with, uh, other top Stanford entrepreneurs. Like yeah. It kind of seems like uh, all that basic building a company, you know, racking servers, all that kind of stuff that used to be like what an incubator would tell you what to do kind of has just now been productized and is like just e relatively easy to do. So kind of moving someone from that stage where they've already know how to do that stuff and beyond really seems like this incubator accelerator model that you're kind of talking about. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And we say all the time, there's a thousand places you can go to learn about the first nine months of starting of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, but it takes, not that IPOing is the goal, but as a measuring stick, it takes 10 years to IPO. And so who's, you know, where is all that activity in the next nine years and three months? Now for the students and the scholarship that we offer, the scholarship recipients do get some of that training. Um, they do learn what is a company and how do you incorporate. But even still, um, if you have folks that are graduating with a PhD, they, you know, they've got more industry depth than uh, kids who are making an app to order pizza on their phone in their garage. Um, and we've got folks from the business school also who, you know, come in with industry experience and are getting a degree. Um, we've also accepted teams from the DCI, Distinguished Career Institute. These are folks who have already um, had tremendous careers and are, and are continuing education at Stanford. So all across the board. So how do you find, have you had that many of these kind of repeat um, entrepreneurs or people with tons of experience, they got a PhD, what are they coming to really get out of StartX, given that yeah. they have all this experience in the past. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
I'll answer this in two ways. So the first is um, when we look at the data over the last several years, um, any given cohort, over 50% of the founders are now, whereas, you know, 10 years ago when Startups first began, it was sort of for students, by students, meant to be an accelerator. Um, today, over 50% of companies founded by Stanford professors, uh, alumni, serial entrepreneurs, industry experts. And in fact, last summer, we were looking at our stats and a third of the new companies that we had taken that summer had been founded by people who had left the VC world. Like they were VCs really? and left the VC world because they wanted to have impact by, by you know, building a business. And so it's a different mix now. And, and you can imagine um, you know, the types of questions that people engage in. It's not so much, you know, how do I make my first hire, but more so, hey, when have you found it useful to bring in an in-house recruiter versus not? Um, it's not how to, what is a pitch deck and how to raise money, but raising a series B and, and doing growth funding is very, very different than putting a seed deck together. Um, and even if it's, you know, there's a difference between talking about how do I make my first sale versus, um, you know, what incentive structures have you found for the sales teams that both, you know, create impact, motivate um, the team and, and allow you to scale what you need to do. So it's just different types of conversations. And I think if we were to look at the medical field in particular, um, you know, one of the problems that we often see ha has to do with uh, just regularly having a community of entrepreneurial minded peers, not necessarily other people uh, that are starting companies the first time asking a lot of questions, but other people like you who are, you know, are experts in the industry, starting companies or um, have, have IPO'd before but are doing their next one, um, or our professors who've, who've successfully um, translated a lot of their work and, and are doing it again. And just having that community of entrepreneurial-minded peers, uh, leaders, and even mentors around topics and, and making sure that you really get that collaborative feel. The longer you are here in Silicon Valley, the more you find that startups can be a really cutthroat, superficial, materialistic world. Um, but Stanford stands for um, you know, taking education, taking research, taking the knowledge and, and resources that we have and, and going after high impact, important problems that are purposeful in the world. Um, and I think, you know, like Stanford as a hospital, for example, in its research capacity, uh, together with the School of Medicine works so hard to build expertise and, and scientific leadership uh, in all of our faculty, right? And knowing that Stanford Healthcare has unique access to all this homegrown talent and innovation that is regularly producing um, and comparing that to sort of the level of engagement for this type of innovation across Stanford as a health system, I think um, is all the sorts of questions that we ask. Okay, so to, to noodle on that a little bit more, let's say I was a faculty member in the medical school and I've come up with the next big thing, I think. And I'm just like you said, I wanna go have an impact in the world and I feel like maybe going through a research way of going at that or using grant funding isn't the right way. I think a business is the right way way. How do you think about translating that person who has deep expertise and a deep understanding of this vertical or small area into someone who can run a business or at least bring some sort of product to market? Yeah, so I'll give, I'll give a, an example of this that applies to a lot of our professors, but we can talk more specifically as well. Um, you know, oftentimes, if you have a, a faculty role, you're not in a position to give that up just because uh, you, know, you have some research, you have some new technology that's going to make a difference um, 
in the clinical world. Uh, but it also means you shouldn't abandon it, right? Just because you can't be full-time on a company doesn't mean we don't want to see that innovation. Um, and so if you think about the history of Stardex over, uh, you know, 11 years now, we've taken over 1,600 entrepreneurs. Uh, many of them have, have succeeded with their first companies or their first Stardex companies um, and are, are on, in, on the way of sort of looking for their next thing to do, right? So we have an internal list of sort of these in-transition founders, successful Stanford entrepreneurs who have been through, you know, it's not their first rodeo yeah. anymore. And uh, often we'll engage with the Office of Technology Licensing and other groups or even faculty that reach out directly to say, hey, we've got this, um, you know, breakthrough. We think it has this impact on patients um, and we need a team, an operating team to go co-found that with us and, and make it reach all the way through so that it does actually cure the indication we're going after, not just, you know, the description of how to cure it. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that, that's a really cool resource because where else are you going to see, you know, vetted uh, Stanford entrepreneurs that are now experienced, have know how to succeed at a company and are looking to be inspired by something else that's happening, you know, in, in this Stanford family. And have you seen that? I mean, I feel like that would be one of the most difficult things I would worry about is, hey, I, maybe I have no business experience. I've never gotten my MBA, but I have this scientific knowledge. Have you been able to see those type of faculty members truly merge with co-founders? And how have you found them even find someone like that? Yeah, so we have, um, we've had over 56 tenure track faculty uh, start companies here at Stardex now, and that doesn't even include the adjunct and the visiting and all the other folks. Um, and, and there are different patterns, right? So uh, each professor has a different style. They also want to be engaged in different aspects, right? Even if you're only part-time in a company, you, your personality will drive you toward which ones, or maybe even the technology itself will warrant that. And our biggest goal as a community and a, and a mentorship group is to say, hey, let us put you in touch with one of the other three of the other 56 um, professors who have done this, or even more that have done it before Stardex existed, um, to say, hey, like, how did you think through, uh, where did you find the executive team that, that became the operating group? Um, you know, sometimes people look for it one way, sometimes people look for another way, and, and our goal is to make sure professors have a wealth of uh, role models or comparisons to figure out what works for them. Um, there's no one-size-fits-all, and if there was entrepreneurship, wouldn't be entrepreneurship, right? The whole yeah, it's point, that hustle, right? Yeah, and, and you know, like if you want to do something, if you want to solve a problem that's never been solved before, you're going to have to be comfortable doing things that have never been done before. So, uh, Startex learned early on that it's not about giving cookie cutter curriculum. Um, not that that's what professors want, or even experienced entrepreneurs want anyway. Uh, but rather, you know, no matter what question you're thinking about, putting you in touch with people who can have really salient conversations with you and relate to you about it, right? A professor doesn't want to talk to, um, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world to ask, how did you start your company? Because he'll just say, I dropped out and I just started doing it. Yeah. Um, they want to talk to people like them, people they can relate to that have similar stories that we're able to see success and, and sort of, you know, translate that. In, in a way that makes sense. It's interesting that you mention it that way because the classic teaching I've always heard is that you have to be all in as the entrepreneur where you can't have any other job, you can't have any other interest. It seems like you're saying that there is maybe a role here for certain types of people um, to have sort of a dual part of their lives. Do you agree with that? Um, it definitely varies. And, and I hate to, to give this as a blanket statement because it would be, it would be uh, 
improper for for an authority like Stardex to say, hey, it's you know you should just uh, go at it half-hearted. Yeah. Um, but you know we've seen with there are certain situations where that is the right mix. Um, it's in the typical entrepreneurship world, it's rare. When you're looking at you know the top faculty in the top medical departments or even the top universities in the world, it's a different story. And uh, like I said, one size doesn't fit all. Yeah, and even the VCs, you think, even can get on board with that type of stuff if it's that specific? You know, what's funny is in 2012, when Stardex first created Stardex Med, um, so the medical field is where this is the most common. Often, sometimes you've got practicing physicians, right? And, and they're, they're practicing and that's where that domain knowledge comes from. That's where that um, clinical perspective comes from. And, and it would be foolish to give that up uh, just so you could, I don't know, do more administrative work in the company early on. Um, and, and yet, in 2012, before, when it was just Stardex and there was no Stardex Med, that was also a time when investors wouldn't touch medical companies with a 10 foot pole. Right. And the reason they wouldn't, I mean, on the one hand, it was because they didn't see their advice was launch early, launch often, test on your users all the time. And yep. you're just going to kill a bunch of patients. That'd be ridiculous. Um, but, but then, you know, that maybe they didn't necessarily understand or appreciate the FDA approval process and where that goes. But, but also the component was, um, you know, like who are these professors not, sticking around with the company and I have my rule, everyone's got to be there. Um, but we saw that if you don't have a group of people that are engaged like you and, and talk about the same things you talk about and live in your world, then, you know, you can't, that's not the place for you to be if you're going to go start a company. So Startex Med um, was all about create, just making sure that the mentors, the peers, the people you're surrounded by are also medical entrepreneurs, professors that have been through it before, professors that are doing it now, um, alumni who are coming, industry experts in that field. Um, and today, medical entrepreneurship, there are VCs that even focus exclusively on med. Um, and, you know, that, that's been a big change in the industry um, since then. But, you know, to answer your question, it it wasn't always that way. Um, and we're happy that at, in, at least in Silicon Valley, that, that Stanford has been one of the, the driving communities to, to push for that change because, you know, apps order pizza on your phone shouldn't be the only place that the best and brightest are, are focused on. Yeah. Let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I, th when I think about those faculty members who might move over um, and try to, put their toe in something maybe they've never done before, which is entrepreneurship. Um, you've seen now like hundreds of companies come through Stardex. What have been the big things you've seen of that kind of person being successful or being uh, having some failure along the way? Yeah, so we have our three criteria that we vet for in admissions. And, and uh, we know the admissions process works because over a 10 year, we only accept about 9% of applicants. Um, and even among the faculty that apply, I think it's you know, 20 or 30%, so it's not everybody. And uh, with that process, we screen for a ton of things along the way. Um, and you know, the, even the admissions process has evolved over the last 10 years. And the only way we know it works is in hindsight, right? Yeah. Um, over a 10 year history, Stardex companies are, 2.6 times more likely to reach a, create $100 million of value, uh, reach a $100 million valuation than any major accelerator 
in the world. Um, and even if you look at all the venture-backed startups that we've ever supported over that 10 years, um, 10 years of startups, venture-backed startups, 92% of them um, are still growing or acquired uh, after 10 years. And so it's, it's not straightforward to select these teams. We also never reject anyone outright. If you apply to StartX and you don't meet our bar, we will sit down with you. We'll share what the, the mentors, the coaches, the industry experts had to say about what, you, what we wanna see or where you wanna be for this to be the right thing for you. Um, and we encourage people to reapply and, and the average number of applications it takes to get into StartX is actually 2.1. Yeah, that's pretty funny. That's how many it took me was two. There we go. <laughs> when you sat down and gave feedback, and also when you think see the companies that make it in, what are some of the? Can you give me more specifics around the some of the things that are you see different in those two different types of teams? Um, yeah. So there's three main areas that this matters a lot. So number one is um, you got to have passion and commitment for for solving a real world problem. And, and one of the ways we look for that is uh, not only, first of all, like, you know, we, you've got to have a problem you care about. It's got to be an important problem that, that you see in the way we live our lives. Um, but you've got to be not excited about it. Like passion and commitment doesn't mean excitement. It means, are you willing to do the things you don't like doing to make, to get this problem solved, right? And that means, you know, sometimes you'll have folks who, uh, you know, they really love the, the science behind, um, or, you know, say, say we're doing a, we've got a precision medicine company, we're doing some big data stuff, and I love the data analysis. But when it comes to, okay, I've got to find an office space, I've got to hire people, I've got to manage them, I've got to go, uh, you know, talk to investors, I've got to get clinical trials, you know, I've got to do all this, this sort of like uh, legwork. And if that's not your cup of tea, it, you know, you're not going to make it very far on your own, even if at the beginning it looks like, because early on all you're doing is sort of building that um, technology out. And so we really challenge people, the first category is passion. We really challenge people to ask that question early on and make sure that if this is not, if you've got something worth turning into a company, but, but there's parts of being an entrepreneur and seeing it through all the way to patients um, and, and having impact in the clinical world at the end, if you're not ready to do all those steps, then, then we'll help you find other co-founders that might be able to fill those gaps, right? And, and uh, one of the things we see even, you know, like we're talking about medical innovation here, um, but you could have someone with very little medical experience, maybe from uh, the engineering school or, or the uh, graduate school of business uh, or even, you know, humanities and sciences where they're the right complement to other co-founders who do bring that science angle. Um, and, and sometimes altogether, that's, that's the team you want to move forward with. If we back a team, we're gonna see them all the way to success because we wanna make sure that anyone we say is now a StartX caliber um, gets to make the difference in, and have the impact on the world that they want. So passion and commitment, um, and then team dynamic is the other one, right? Make sure you've got that right mix. Uh, the third category we've already talked about, uh, and that's uh, ability to execute, right? If you're doing a, like I said, if you're doing a, an, a deep learning company that's building a medical device or diagnostics, you better have someone who knows how to commercialize medical devices and have someone who's, you know, an yeah. authority on, on deep learning. Okay. In terms of the medical side, you've now had 
Stardex Med for a while. What themes yeah. have you seen kind of come out of the cohorts that have gone through and what are you seeing now? Like what, what has been changed through that period of time? Yeah, it's definitely all across the board, right? So there's the obvious ones, uh, you know, the, the Professor Gary Nolans of the world, Professor Joe Wu's of the world, Professor mm-hmm. Arnold Mildstein's of the world, um, right in the School of Medicine, you know, having breakthroughs that, that we want to make sure have real world impact. But, but, you know, you also find folks in humanities and sciences, engineering and other schools that even if we're looking at med, uh, you know, like Professor Lee Kun Lo with Immunonc, um, Therapeutics, they're out of the biology department, but they've got breakthroughs that matter in the medical world. Or, or Professor Carolyn Bertozzi, um, out of the chemistry department, um, but with you know breakthroughs in, um, again, using chemistry to do diagnostics uh, that have a, a big impact on, um, on the medical world. Or whether it's computer science or engineering, um, even you know Professor Manu Prakash with with sort of new microscope technologies. Right, you would think. Um, at their core, that's not something that comes out of the med school, but does it have an impact on medicine? Absolutely. Okay. And I know one of those groups of people who are always thinking about starting companies, they're always so much worried about ownership and who's going to own it. And does my medical school own it? Does my division own it? Have you, how have you guys helped negotiate those kinds of questions and concerns that a lot of people have? Yeah. So, um, the, Office of Technology Licensing at Stanford is a group that we, we are in close contact with. And, you know, a lot of the time, they're the ones that come to us saying, look, we have these technologies and, and research developments that are happening and they exist. And sometimes the professor doesn't uh, step forward and take the initiative to say, hey, this really could, uh, you know, cure this, this indication and we really could have this impact. Um, but the Office of Technology Licensing will say, hey, this is, this is worth bringing out there. Um, and, you know, so our conversations with them often are around, Hey, you know, could we, could we talk to this list of in transition founders? You have people who are ready to start something new, want to be inspired by something that we know will succeed. They've done it before. And and can we facilitate that conversation to inspire the professor to say, Hey, you know, don't just leave this as a paper that's published in another journal, but let's, let's actually cure some, some patients. Um, and so, you know, actually sometimes it's the other way around, um, surprisingly. Nice. Um, I'd love to get personal with you for a second. So I know you started a company and you've been part of several early companies, but now you've decided to take on this CEO role of Stardex. Why did you decide to do that rather than go back and itch that entrepreneurial bug over and over and over again? Yeah. So, you know, I've always felt like, um, if I build a company, I can build one company. And you know, when we started out, we were doing an indoor location technology, which um, you know, 10 years ago, even in hospitals was important for tracking key assets, tracking patients and making yep. sure people could navigate. Um, and if I were to do that again, I could only solve one more problem, right? Um, looking at Stardex and the potential that the Stanford ecosystem has here, um, you can really see uh, what's possible when you can when you have 600, 700 uh, entrepreneurs that are all supporting each other and solving the problems that they care about, um, and that's what motivates me. I think on, on a day-to-day basis, and little examples of things like um, you know when COVID nineteen first struck, there was immediately an email thread where the the founders started. Um, organically within our staff and our founders, the idea came up to say, okay, well, we need to put a task force together because we, we've got a hundred of, you know, Stanford's top 
scientists, physicians, professors, engineers, and if we collaborate, we can solve, we can provide more to the COVID-19 world and the solutions that the world's gonna need than if we continue to work individually. And, you know, that's, that's always been one of the coolest parts of Stanford entrepreneurship for me, right? And when I started a company um, early on, we graduated from the computer science department and it was my, my co-founder and I were, we were these two kids with an idea and a technology and through StartX and through the Stanford entrepreneurial community, we ended up with a venture backed company. We we're caught in a bidding war. We sold our company to Apple. And, and along the way, I realized that in Silicon Valley, the longer you're here, the more you recognize sort of the, the layers of it that can be competitive, cutthroat, sometimes superficial, sometimes materialistic. And, and here in the Stanford community, everyone was here to support each other. And, and that maybe comes out of the magic of just the culture that Stanford creates. Um, but it was really something special. And it, and it leads the entrepreneurs that are in StartX and the Stanford ecosystem um, to collaborate in, in really inspiring ways, uh, not the least of which you know, is, is this COVID task force that um, is ever so present right now. Well, tell me a little bit more about that now. We're here, we said the beginning of May right now. What's going on? What are you guys, uh, what are you guys doing with that? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, you know, we've got a group of 100 Stanford uh, alumni scientists, physicians, professors, and engineers, and it's all about collaborating with what they have at play and, and the different knowledge bases or the information or sources of data that they can find or need um, to have the most impact possible on, on COVID-19, to avoid duplicating work and, and to share resources. Um, you know, they group themselves in terms of uh, testing and diagnostics, um, in one area, preventative support uh, against sort of spreading coronavirus through telemedicine as another area and sort of remote monitoring for quarantine patients as a third. Um, and they meet twice a week and it's, it's really just to update both what they're seeing in the world, what they've got access to, sharing resources, and bringing in um, you know, key figures from around the world to make sure that Stanford as an ecosystem is having the impact that it needs to have. So folks like the Gates Foundation, uh, UCSF uh, global health experts like uh, Alana Shaikh um, and others have, have been on call and, and they're engaging with the task force um, just to maximize the impact that, that Stanford and its physicians, professors, uh, engineers, and scientists can have at a time like this. Have you seen the companies actually shift what they're doing as their core products based on what's going on? Um, I mean, shift isn't the right way to look at it. So for example, Genie Life Sciences, uh, even before COVID-19, they were working on a treatment for ARDS, right? Which is obviously um, critical in, in the COVID-19 world and, and losing caught of death. So when you've got a company like that, that's already got so much experience in that field, you know, and add that to Genapsis, for example, which has um, the most uh, cost-efficient, compact, full DNA sequencer, right? It, it, one unit costs less than $10,000. Um, and where comparable technologies, you know, 500K and million, and, uh, you know, it costs like 200, $300 of consumables, right? So it's $6 a patient just to sequence full genomes. And they were used early on, um, as soon as the outbreak in China, just to start um, tracking those genome sequences and, and looking at the outbreak from genetic level. And so, you know, when you need to know what mutations are happening, when you need to know, you know, have experts in ARDS, um, and they're already right there in the conversation, along with so many more, right? Uh, telemedicine, 
uh, experts, supply chain experts, um, computer, even you know, uh, AI diagnostics experts, and all the different types of uh, companies, entrepreneurs, scientists, and physicians that Stanford ecosystem just represents. Um, you can imagine a conversation, the Gates Foundation or UCSF or whoever, um, it just makes for a really valuable uh, knowledge sharing and resource sharing to, to address these problems. And yeah. I mean, that's amazing that your guys' group is able to bring that together. I guess that's, once again, kind of talking about yourself, how you've been able to create impact across companies rather than just have a single moment and a single thing you're attacking. That's pretty awesome stuff. In terms of Stardex itself, when I went through, one of the greatest benefits was having this camaraderie and this group and everything together. But we sure weren't socially distanced at that time. Right. <laughs> I know you guys have already done some virtualization of Demo Day and stuff like that. What's the future in the next year of what this thing looks like for you guys? I mean, so our general goals haven't changed, right? If you look at uh, you know, what Stardex sets out to do in the long run, our goal is to empower all the stakeholders across the Stanford ecosystem um, to benefit from all this amazing homegrown talent and innovation that's being produced every single year uh, in all the different schools, right? So, and like it or not, you know, strengthening even Stanford healthcare indirectly also strengthens other departments across Stanford and vice versa. And so, you know, if we're looking at, um, what our engagement with the Stanford community is going to look like, you know, we're, we're talking about med today, but there's seven schools that make up Stanford university, right? The school of medicine is obviously one of them, uh, but GSB, GSE, engineering, earth energy, environmental science, um, humanities and sciences, law school, of course, and, and each one um, we engage with in different ways, right? The, the one where we have the least interaction of course is, is humanities and sciences, but, but that isn't by choice. I think, there are great professors in humanities and science that, uh, you know, like I mentioned, in chemistry and biology departments that even interact directly with you guys at, at the clinical level. Um, but I think admin, at an, an administrative level, they don't necessarily look at entrepreneurship in the same lens as the other six schools yet. And hopefully that's something um, we can inspire and change. And, and I think if we were to uh, uh, look at the medical school as, a, as an example that's relevant to this conversation, um, you know, we collaborate with the Center for Digital Health. We support hackathons like Health Plus um, Plus compared to, uh, you know, the other schools where it's more about educational workshops, panels, uh, shared scholarships we have with, with some of the schools, uh, mentorship, admissions, curriculum development, um, and, and, you know, role models for students too and, and other student engagement uh, okay. as well. But at the end of the day, it's really about making sure that each of the schools has ongoing access to the talent and innovation that, you, you yourselves are producing every year to make sure that that sort of cross innovation happens and is available. Okay. Are you going to start running virtual cohorts or what, what's going to happen with the cohorting of, of, of your companies? Yeah. So, I mean, what we're doing is, is very applicable to, to virtual. I think, you know, even in, in a typical year, uh, it's about connecting entrepreneurs with relevant founders to talk to. Um, and, you know, whether it's other founders like them or people in uh, the, the hospital itself or other mentors or industry leaders, you know, the Gates Foundation, UCSF, et cetera, um, you know, our job is to make those connections and, and to allow those conversations to take place so that people do share the knowledge they need to share and do have access to what they need to access and can create that impact uh, where they need to. And so, 
you know, that works just as well virtually as it does in person. Obviously, we can't, you know, serve food and have fancy events. Yeah. Um, but but the core of the of the experience has always been uh, making sure you're you're building relationships with with the people that you know you'll be able to mutually impact the most. Well, Joseph, I really appreciate you taking the time. As always, it's been informative to me, and I uh, I really thank you for uh, for talking with me today. Uh, fantastic, and you know, if, if I'll just put one more shout out there, I, I think uh, you know, Stanford Healthcare is a, is a, a key player in the ecosystem that Stanford represents as well. And and there's a number of areas where um, I think you know having more access to homegrown innovation and innovators in an organized way could could also make a difference and and benefit Stanford Healthcare as well. So you know, like if we look at uh, one example like telemedicine. Um, you know, things like reducing hospital readmission rates, things like better uh, medication ad adherence, um, or even just looking at patient outcomes and efficiency. Uh, you know, there's probably been a hundred Sardex caliber telemedicine tech breakthroughs in the last several years, um, all built out of Stanford Med School, Stanford Healthcare, and, you know, homegrown talent that you guys are innovation that you're producing. Um, and so to the extent that we can be helpful in, in helping to organize that and make that available, um, you know, our mandate is, is the entire Stanford ecosystem. So whatever, whatever we can do to support, uh, we're happy to do. Well, I couldn't, couldn't wish for that more. Um, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I can't wait to talk to you again. Fantastic. Thanks yeah, for having thanks. us on. Thanks, Joseph. This interview is intended to explore the process of innovation and does not in any way indicate endorsement by Stanford or by our physicians of companies or products being featured.